Church of Christ presents Blessed Are, the sermon by the Reverend Jean Rattle Bodman, presented on Sunday, February 2nd, 2020. Today's reading from Matthew is a story we've probably all heard many times before. The Beatitudes, the beautiful blessing statements that open the most famous sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. Many of us will have heard these lines so many times that it's almost hard to hear what they mean. As we read or hear the first words of each phrase, the rest of the sentence pops into our mind automatically. So automatically, it becomes almost an inspirational plaque on the wall, one that we've seen so many times that we barely notice it. But when we pause to consider these blessings may come back to us again as powerful proclamation rather than pious platitude. Now, whoever the author of the Gospel of Matthew was, probably not called Matthew, but whoever it was, he or she was such a good reporter that they packed a heap of information into the very opening sentence of their report of the sermon. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Seems like straightforward enough scene setting, but the very first phrase, when Jesus saw the crowds, reminds us that Jesus was so good at all the preaching, proclaiming, and healing that he'd been doing, that he was generating crowds. People from all over the place were following him people from one end of the Jewish territory to the other. And not only that, even people from over across the Sea of Galilee and beyond the Jordan, even people from these Gentile-dominated areas were drawn to Jesus and were following him. Having seen the crowds, Jesus went up the mountain. Innocuous enough to us, Jesus was forever going up mountains, But when the early readers of Matthew's Gospel heard this, it added to a theme the author had already been developing in the Gospel and echoed for them another leader who led the people in the wilderness and went up a mountain to bring the people the word of God. Jesus, Matthew is assuring his readers, including us, is as big a star as Moses. Jesus is as central to the story of God with God's people, and even more, because when Moses went up the mountain, he heard the voice of God and brought God's word back down to the people. When Jesus went up the mountain, he spoke the words of God that were already in his heart. And the gospel writer managed to fit one more important detail in that very first sentence. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountains and sat down, and his disciples came to him. The crowds down below may have been part of the audience for the sermon that followed, but the immediate audience, the people who needed to know what the kingdom of God was going to look like, were the disciples, the students of Jesus, his inner circle. 
Now, usually, when we hear that Jesus has gone up on a mountain, it's for a reprieve, a break from the crowds constantly importuning him. Whether alone or with his disciples, his mountain time is usually for reflection and retreat. But not this time. This time, his impulse was not solitude in a place removed from the world. This time, Jesus led his disciples to a place where they could see everybody. On a clear day, from the hills there in Galilee, one had a panorama of the whole world out there. A ton of villages, tradespeople. If you were a general, you could see your armies approaching. You could spot rich people, powerful people with their caravans on the road to Rome. If you were facing the sea, you could see across it Tiberius being built, that great city that Rome was raising in order to tax the life out of the people of the Galilee. And there, with all of that before them, Jesus narrates a vision of a new world order. Blessed, he said, are those who are poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Not the triumphant, the arrogant, the sure-footed, but those whose poverty has battered their very spirits. They are the blessed. Blessed are those who are mourning. They will be consoled. Not those who have never known loss, but those who are in the very depth of their grief. They are the blessed. Blessed are those who are gentle. They will inherit the land. Not the aggressive, the savvy, the cutthroat winners, but the gentle ones. They are the blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. They will have their fill. Not those who rig the economic system in their own favor at the expense of the poor, but those who are so concerned about justice that it burns like thirst in their throat and eats like hunger at their stomachs. These hungering and thirsting ones, they are the blessed. Blessed are those who show mercy to others. They will be shown mercy. Not the ones who win at any cost, but the ones who tenderly consider the effect of their behavior on other people. They are the blessed. Blessed are those whose hearts are clean. They will see God. Not the ones who lie and devise schemes and get one over on their neighbor, but those who are single-hearted and transparent. They are the ones who are blessed. Blessed are those who work for peace. They will be called the children of God. Not those who build the biggest bomb or take the most from an enemy to ensure a win for our side, but those who work so that all God's children can live in peace and prosperity. They are the blessed. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of their struggle for justice. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are fortunate when others insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of slander against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice. Your reward in heaven is great. They persecuted the prophets before you in the very same way. Well now, that is beautiful, but it is not simple. 
It is not uncomplicated. Who could even sign up for this? Who could choose to be poor in spirit, mourning, meek, or even living in a constant state of hunger and thirst for righteousness? It's exhausting to consider. Merciful? Maybe. But I know I can't manage it every day. Pure in heart? Who can pull that off? A peacemaker? With the world so constantly full of treachery? Frightening. Persecuted for righteousness sake? That scares me. Why on earth would anyone want to be reviled and have people uttering false things against them? Why rejoice at that and be glad? For some reward later in heaven? Please. If this is a prescription for the way Jesus' followers are meant to live, I don't think he's going to keep those crowds with him for a very long time. I think on our bad days, and even on some of our so-so days, many of us would want to skip that kind of blessing. But truly, I don't think Jesus is looking out across their world and giving them instruction on how to achieve blessing. Instead, he is looking out across the world and announcing that the least likely people in all that vast array before them were already blessed. Despite all cultural, cultural expectation to the contrary, they are blessed and beloved by God. Now, it's a tricky word, blessed. The prosperity gospel, heresy, uses it to mean that God wants to give you a lot of material stuff. And when you get that stuff, it's proof of God's blessing. And if you don't get that stuff, well, it's your fault. We in the progressive world tend to nuance that. When we are feeling grateful, or maybe even a little guilty, for all the gifts we have in this life, we tend to call them blessings as a signal that we are humble and we know that we didn't necessarily deserve all that we have. But I'm so blessed. It may indeed be an expression of our deep gratitude. They're not wrong words to use, but they can lead us into a bad way of thinking because it leaves us with the question, so if people don't enjoy the same luxuries or even have their basic needs met, are they unblessed? And if so, why? It's very tricky. Part of the problem may be the way that we translate that Greek word makarios as blessed. Sometimes it's been translated as happy, as in adopt these attitudes and you will be happy. But for one thing, it's just not a very accurate translation. And for another, this again leads us, turns these blessings into a prescription, but one that will not cure your injuries until some far off heaven. As we read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in the coming weeks, we'll be reminded that it sure doesn't seem like Jesus wanted to put the reign of God off until the afterlife. Instead, I think Jesus was proclaiming that eternity begins 
now. That the life then, when we are received back into the great love that created us, and this life here are all part of God's eternal now. They belong to each other. Jesus says more about what that eternal living kind of life looks like in the rest of the sermon. But here in the beginning, I think it will help us to understand if we translate that word blessed another way. A better, another translation of the Greek might be enviable or honored. Jesus climbed the mountain, looked out at the landscape of first century Palestine, at the wealthy Romans and the striving poor, all living in a system that kept the local population overtaxed, impoverished, and under the thumb of Rome. He looked out over that world, and from his heart, he pronounced God's word. Honored are the poor in spirit. They will be comforted. Honored are the meek and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful and the pure in heart, they will see God. Honored are the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Beginning now. Honored are you even when people revile you and persecute you. Your reward is great in the reign you already belong to. Jesus looked out at the real world and pronounced God's blessing on those who were considered of no account in that world. In that day and age and in that culture, everything was dominated by a system of shame and honor. Everyone knew to whom honor was due and to whom no honor needed to be given. But Jesus looked at the world as it was and instead of pronouncing the city builders and the landholders and the religious elite honored, he chose what was normally held in no esteem. He gave us a glimpse of a world where the downtrodden are honored, a world where the meek get what they deserve, where mercy, goodness, and peace open us to a vision of God. We are invited to catch that vision and to live into that world even in the midst of the world that tells us it's a lie, that batters our ears in the evening news with a story that this vision is a lie. In Jesus' pronouncement is a promise for us. When we feel least honorable, when we are overcome with grief, struck down by poverty of spirit, overwhelmed, and unsure how to even begin the work of justice in such an unjust world. When we feel most vulnerable and useless, Jesus says to, us, says to each of us, blessed are you and honored. When we are full up and content and confident, Jesus says to us, I see the purity deep in your heart. It is your connection to God and God's realm. Blessed are you and honored. Now go and bless and honor others. When righteousness and justice seem far away, when grieving threatens to overtake you, when you wonder what you have to offer, remember 
that you are honored, that Jesus has given us a vision of the realm of God. Be alert for that realm. Build it by honoring others as you are honored. Join in the life of the kingdom, a world that nurtures life in all its splendor. For you are of heaven, and Jesus blesses you. Amen. Listen, listen, listen.